You're listening to a Sunday morning message by Authentic Church. Well, welcome back. I hope you had a great August. It's great to be back and to see you all. Now, are we sitting comfortably? Then let me begin. Once upon a time. And if I paused there, you would already know what to expect next. A story. And I suspect there's many of you might be thinking already, back to your childhood, where books were read to you by schools or by parents. Or if you're in the next generation, maybe you'd be thinking of Disney or Pixar remakes. Once upon a time. Stories are great ways to learn and very often easy to remember. They're usually very narrative and visual in their narrative and very often about topics that we can relate to or put ourselves inside of. They often contain important truths that the, tr- the storyteller wants us to understand. So why am I talking about stories this morning? Well, don't worry, you've not come to the local book club. In our teaching series in the run-up to Christmas, we are going to be looking at the parables of Jesus. And today we're going to explore what a parable is and why Jesus used them. And then we're going to look at two of the parables he used to teach about the Father's love for us in the lost coin and the lost sheep. The word parable is a transliteration of the Greek word parabole. That means to place beside and to cast alongside. Vine's expository dictionary of New Testament words defines that they signify a placing of one thing beside another with a view to comparison. Wisby's description of a parable describes it thus, as a story that places one thing beside another for the purpose of teaching. It puts the known next to the unknown so that we may learn. In the New Testament, it is often a story or narrative driven or drawn from nature or human circumstances, something from which the listeners could easily recognise and identify with. The key factor of a parable is that the spiritual lessons can be made, learned and applied by comparison. In simple terms, a parable can be defined as an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. It's been estimated that a third of Jesus's recorded teaching is presented in parables. And I suspect if I ask you today to share some of your key memories of the teachings of Jesus, it would be from a parable little test for you this morning. I want you to fill in the last word. If I was to say the parable of the good Samaritan, Samaritan, the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the mustard. Jesus was clearly good at alliteration. The Samaritan, the sheep, the seed, the son. Jesus was a master storyteller. And we often read in the Gospels that the crowds were amazed at his teaching. And if a third of his teaching was in stories, in parables, then Jesus was clearly a brilliant storyteller. 
But the parables were more than just earthly stories with a heavenly meeting, meaning. Jesus used them with a specific purpose in mind. Firstly, to conceal and secondly, to reveal. And it's interesting to think that Jesus might use some of his teaching to deliberately conceal something. Let me explain. Jesus began speaking in parables because of the hardness of many people's hearts. The disciples once asked him outright, why do you speak in parables in Matthew 13? And Jesus replied in verse 11, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdoms of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. He carried on. This is why I speak in parables. Though seeing, though they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. Jesus recognised there is a difference between the crowd and his disciples. There were the curiosity seekers and the truth seekers. And the curiosity seekers often had hard hearts. They often deliberately set out to trip him up or catch him out. Whereas the disciples had open hearts and open minds. Therefore, Jesus taught in parables to separate the two groups. The disciples pushed in hard and asked questions. They asked for explanations. In Mark 4.34, we read, he did not say anything to them without using a parable. But when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. Those seeking the truth would say, as we read in Matthew 13, please explain to us the parables. Whereas the simply curious would give up and go away. Jesus was never desperate to please the crowd and keep people following him at all costs. In John 6.66 we read after Jesus' teaching about his blood and his body, we read that from this time many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Jesus was not all about keeping people at all costs. He never watered down the truth for risk of losing people. So Jesus used the parables to conceal, but he also more importantly used them to reveal. In Matthew 13, again, where we start to see, if you read that chapter, it's full of Jesus's parables. It says this in verses 34 and 5. Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. So was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. And he's quoting Psalm 78 there. But Jesus wants, wanted his disciples, he wants us, his followers, to lean in, to ask, to be curious, so he could reveal the truth. Speaking as of his disciples, he says, but blessed are you, your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. For truly I tell you, 
Many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see, but did not see it. And to hear, but you, but did not hear it. Jesus spoke deliberately in parables to reveal to some and to hide from others. And I believe he still does that today in the parables. He wants us to be challenged and he wants us to push in for revelation. Now, what challenges me about the parables? Well, for me personally, they don't deal in absolutes. On the Myers-Briggs personality type, of which there are 16 types, I don't know if you've ever heard of Myers-Briggs, but you take a test and it comes out and it gives you a personality type. I'm known as an ENTJ. The the name for that is the commander. I quite like that. I quite like being a commander. Curiously, of the entire population, it is the rarest of the 16 personality types, making up only 1.8% of the population. Now, you might think that explains everything particularly for those who know me well. As an ENTJ, I like logical reasoning. I am analytical and objective. I like organisation, processes, goals and reasons. By the way, of the 16 types, an ENTJ, moi, is among the least likely of all types of believers to believe in a higher spiritual power. That's my challenge. I like rules. I can be quite legalistic. Ironically, I think I would probably have made a good Pharisee. Bit worrying that, but I'm being honest. Jesus taught in parables and principles. He didn't teach rules and regulations. He didn't use the parables as a copy this example to the letter. Parables force you to think about the lesson, to grapple with the meaning. It's not simply, this is what I'm saying, go off and do it. It's far deeper, it's far more um, emotive and far more grappling than that. Like the disciples, I believe Jesus still wants us to go to him and ask him, can you explain that to me, please? So the parables challenge me because I like absolutes and the parables don't deal in absolutes. So how can we apply the parables of of Jesus to us? Well, there's two things, there's two extremes we need to avoid. One, avoid scrutinizing every single word and try to find some spiritual truth in every little detail. That's me. I will pour over every single word looking for either a get out clause or something I can follow. They were not legalistic stories. Also, the second thing is try not to just find one spiritual truth in each parable. Often there are many. But do look for the central truth of the parable. And if you find others, ensure it aligns to it. Do carefully consider the context 
of Jesus' words. So often they were used to illustrate a response to a situation or a question being asked of Jesus. So he was asked something and he responded with a parable. And it's important for us to look at who, were, who, were, who was asking him that question. Remember, parables were originally told to conceal, so they're not always going to be clear. But remember, they do reveal the heart of Jesus, the gospel and the kingdom of God. So let's look at our two parables for today, which are the parable of the lost sheep and the lost coin. And we'll look at the parable of the lost son, which is the other one of those three lost parables. We're going to look at that one separately on another Sunday. So if you have your Bibles this morning, if you could turn to Luke chapter 15, and we're going to be looking at verses specifically 1 to 10. Luke chapter 15, 1 to 10. Funnily enough, entitled The Parable of the Lost Sheep and then The Parable of the Lost Coin. So I'm going to start reading from chapter 15, verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering round to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbours together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you, in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who do not need to repent. He then goes straight on in verse 8, the parable of the lost coin. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbours together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angel of, angels of God over one sinner who repents. So what's the context? Why did Jesus tell these two parables? Well, Jesus was surrounded by, as we read, tax collectors and sinners. He was surrounded by people who did not know God's love. And Jesus clearly wanted to share something with them about how God feels for them. But there was another group around him, the Pharisees and teachers of the law, who were grumbling that Jesus and they should be spending time with tax collectors and sinners. Why are you here? You shouldn't be here, Jesus, and neither should we. Jesus spots an opportunity to speak to both groups through these parables. 
So Jesus immediately identifies with both groups as he begins the parable. And I love this. Verse four, suppose one of you. Suppose one of you. Suppose one of you sitting there this morning. Suppose one of you. And I'm already hooked. He's identified with me. Suppose you, Nigel. He is speaking to both the lost souls in the sinners. And he's also speaking to the Pharisees who should be saving the lost, not avoiding them. So what's my first impression of these two parables? Well, I think they are simply genius. Every human being on the planet can identify with them. As I'm sure there is no one here this morning who has never lost something. We all know what it's like to lose something. And I seem to be pretty good at it. So often I'm asking Tammy, where did I put? Where is it? We can all identify with losing something. So immediately he's taken an everyday event that we all can identify with and he's hooked us in. Pure genius. And then we all know what it's like when we find it. We know how thrilled we are. We know how pleased we are. We know the joy and the gratitude we have. I have a lovely lost and found story. Um, Recently in one of my last roles, I had to go into an office every day and I had to wear a suit and a tie. Never wore a suit and a tie. I had to buy a suit to do it. But I had to wear a suit and a tie. And the tie kept getting in the way. So I borrowed my son's tie clip. Nothing fancy, but it wasn't mine. It was my son's. And one day, I'm getting ready for work. And my tie clip wasn't where I always leave it. And I started looking for it. And I couldn't find it. And I left the house without it. And I was quite miffed. I was quite sad and I was quite upset that I'd lost this tie clip and it wasn't even mine. And I'm walking into the office and just as you come in, there's big revolving doors to get into the building. And I looked down and in front of the revolving doors on the floor outside was this tie clip. Was this tie clip. You can imagine my joy and my surprise at seeing it on the floor, unharmed, unfound by anyone else. And I took it into the office that day and I sat down with my friends and colleagues and I said, look, a miracle. And I shared this miracle story of finding it with my colleagues. Now they know I was a Christian, they thought I was a bit mad because I was saying God found this for me. It was grey on a grey floor. We all know what it's like to lose something and find it. So there are two things I want to share about these parables this morning. The central truth of these two parables is God's overwhelming love for those who are lost. And that this love is not a passive love. God is not sitting back waiting for us to love him back, but he is earnestly and deliberately seeking us in his love. In Romans 5.8, Paul sums it up like this. 
But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And in 1 John 4.19 we read, We love because he, God, first loved us. God's love is a seeking love. He is not simply waiting for us to stumble over him or to bump into him by accident. Jesus illustrates this by how hard the shepherd and the woman seek their lost item. The shepherd is so desperate to find the lost one, he leaves the 99 alone to go and find it. He puts the rest of his flock at risk to go and find the lost one. The woman in the story has to light a lamp and sweep the floor in her desire to find the lost coin. She effectively cleans the house in her search, and I don't know many people who choose to clean. This is how God loves us. He seeks us out. He searches for us. This is how I felt when I became a Christian at 19. Let me read to you some verses from a a prayer of life written by someone called Michelle Coyce. This is how I felt. Lord, you have seized me and I could not resist you. I ran for a long time, but you followed me. I took bypaths, but you knew them. You overtook me. I struggled. You won. Here I am, Lord, out of breath, no fight in me. And I've said yes, almost unwillingly. When I stood there trembling like one defeated before his captor, your look of love fell on me. The die is cast, Lord, I can no longer forget you. In a moment you seize me. In a moment you conquered me. My doubts were swept away, my fears dispelled, for I recognised you without seeing you. I felt you without touching you. I understood you without hearing you. God pursues us in his love. We can see clear evidence of God's pursuing love because he sent his son, Jesus, to find us. Jesus left the safety and sanctuary of heaven to come down to earth. And the father sends his only son in doing so. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And it continues in verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Later in John's gospel, Jesus goes further and describes himself as what? The good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. Shepherd, I know my sheep and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. Jesus describes the attitude of the shepherd and the woman 
as having the heart and attitude of God. They are actively seeking the lost wherever they may be found, even in the dirt and the dark. The woman has to light a lamp and sweeps in the dark places in search of her coin. God sends his son as the light of the world into the dark and dirt of men's lives to find their hearts and save them. Secondly, we learn that God rejoices whenever sinners repent and the life of God is found and restored. Luke 15, 7 says, I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who do not need to repent. Can I speak from my personal experience? It's not just the person who finds what is lost, but this also applies to the person who was found. We all know what it's likely to be lost physically, fear. We can be lost emotionally and we can be lost spiritually. But when Jesus finds us and reveals God's love for us and we repent and turn to him, then we are truly found. So in conclusion, Jesus taught in parables to both conceal and reveal. He wants to draw us in. He wants to, us to get to know him better. He chooses topics that his listeners could identify with. We can all identify with losing something or in, in fact ourselves being lost. Parables often have multiple meanings and applications to its audiences, both challenging and saving. But let's not forget, Jesus today was also speaking to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. He was saying to them, you should be seeking the lost, not shunning them. Jesus commissions us to continue what he started. We also need to be active in searching and seeking the lost and most importantly, revealing God's love for them. Jesus wants us to press into him, to seek him and to seek the lost. If you're feeling lost today, then I want you to know that God is there already seeking you. You will find him and you will find him in the person of Jesus. Jesus.